Welcome to The Refresh from Insider. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Rob Gunther. It's Friday, October 14th, and we've got the latest news you need and want to know. Plus, we discussed the problem with colleges in their early decision application process. The best way to get rid of it would be just an outright ban. I believe that would be a good thing to do. I don't think it's realistic. But first, here's the latest. The UK's top finance minister is out. Kwasi Kwarteng was asked to stand aside after weeks of economic and political turmoil over tax cuts that favored the wealthy. Prime Minister Liz Truss is also reportedly planning to scrap her government's controversial budget plan entirely. It's a scramble to save the economy and her political fate. The news seems to have reassured some investors. They're snapping government bonds up in response, but the pound fell against the dollar again. So maybe you got caught, you know, using your ex's, best friend's, cousin's Netflix account, right? We've all been there before. Well, now Netflix is going to offer a new ad-supported plan early next month. It'll be $7 a month compared with the $10 for the current basic ad-free plan, which is cheaper than ad-supported Hulu or Disney+. Plus. But for all that money saved, you're going to have to sit through four to five minutes of commercials per hour. Netflix hopes to win back some of the million or so customers it lost earlier this year, And sometime next year, Netflix will start getting Nielsen audience ratings to better understand how advertising is working. If you're a remote worker thinking you might be able to get away with a side hustle, it might help if your employer isn't one of the biggest credit reporting agencies. Equifax confirmed that it used its own software to identify staff secretly working second full-time jobs and fired at least 24 of them for just that. One of the company's products, the work number, holds data like payroll and previous employment info. Some workers think Equifax went too far. One told Insider that they're not sure how the credit reporting company can be trusted with data if it's using it to spy on its own employees. People in Jackson, Mississippi, are still recovering from the 45 days in August and September when they couldn't drink or even use their water. But that was an acute moment of crisis in a long history of a water system that's been unreliable, contaminated, or even out of service for years. And residents say, on top of all of that, they often face massive water bills, sometimes in the several thousands of dollars. NBC says that many Jackson households have faulty meters, which charge customers way over what's supposed to be an average $67 a month. Getting relief requires navigating a slow-moving municipal bureaucracy, which often steers residents to a repayment program. Scottish actor Robbie Coltrane has died. Who are you? Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. He was 72 years old. You're a wizard, Harry. Coltrane had a long career before becoming the famous half-giant wizard. But in an HBO special earlier this year marking 20 years since the first Harry Potter movie, Coltrane knew his defining role. The legacy of the movies is that my children's generation will show them to their children. So you could be watching it in 50 years' time. Easy. I'll not be here, sadly. (laughs) Don't you think on it for one minute. But Hagrid will. Yes. Here at The Refresh from Insider, we have the news you need and want to know always up to date. And hey, if you like what you hear, help us keep the sound waves on by telling other people to listen to the show. 
The nearly 50 Venezuelan migrants Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sent to Martha's Vineyard may have a new path to U.S. citizenship thanks to... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. While the migrants were pawns in DeSantis's political stunt, a Texas sheriff says that they were also victims of crimes, including potentially kidnapping, false imprisonment, and fraud in foreign labor contracting, any of which would qualify them for a special U-Visa created for migrants who are victims of certain crimes. There's still a long road ahead, though. There's a backlog of U-Visa petitions and then a three-year wait period for a green card. The U.S. has a shortage of Adderall. That's the drug that's most commonly used to treat ADHD. The FDA has confirmed pharmacies across the country can't keep up with prescription refills. Last month, Bloomberg reported that the drug company that supplies the nation with most of its Adderall, Teva Pharmaceuticals, was battling a labor shortage that led to production delays. And there's also more demand for Adderall because of an uptick in ADHD diagnoses. There still isn't a specific timeline for recovery, but some generic brands might not return in full until March of next year. Among the revelations Thursday about what it was like inside the Capitol building on January 6th is this, tape released on CNN of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her staff seeing the rioters making their way from the ellipse to the Capitol. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. Pelosi's staff lets the Speaker know that, for now, Donald Trump will not be coming to Congress. I'm going to come, I'm going to punch him out. This is oh, my mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. A new investigative series by The Wall Street Journal is shedding light on the thousands of federal government officials who own stocks in companies that they're supposed to be regulating, like an EPA official buying oil and gas stocks, or an FDA official owning shares in a drug company on a government no-buy list, which is basically a list of companies you're not supposed to trade in. But it says that the Federal Trade Commission is the most egregious example. The FTC investigates companies across all major industries, and yet financial disclosures show a third of senior officials were trading stocks on companies under investigation. An FTC spokesperson says that they're following the law, but it's hard to imagine a bigger conflict of interest. What's the most you'd pay for a pair of like really good jeans? You know, the kind that make your butt look fabulous. 200, 500. What about $87,000? Yep, that's what two denim enthusiasts paid for a pair of Levi's from the 1880s. The jeans were discovered in an abandoned mine out west several years ago and just sold at a New Mexico auction. What's unique about the Levi's is not only their age, but their exceptional condition. Most jeans that old are too delicate to be worn, but this pair might just be strong enough to take out dancing. Now for a look at the business of higher education, starting with a quick question. Which do you think is harder to get into, Harvard or Tulane? Sure, Harvard. But if you look closely, Tulane actually has a lower acceptance rate if you only look at who gets in by applying by the so-called regular deadline. Tulane, like a lot of colleges and universities, really, really wants you to apply early decision, and it can mean you have a better chance of getting in but at a cost. James Murphy specializes in higher ed policy, and he says early decision has become another way the system favors the rich. So James, first, can you explain what early decision is? So let's start with regular decision. That's when you apply to a college. 
usually a deadline in January, and you'll hear back in April. Okay, That's how the vast majority of students apply to four-year colleges. Then there's early decision. So early decision, the deal there is that you apply by November 1st and by sometimes November 15th, and you get a decision back by mid-December. The trick here is that when you apply early decision, you commit to attending that university if you're admitted. And the benefit of early decisions for students isn't just knowing sooner whether you got in or not. It's also that you may have a higher chance of actually getting accepted if you apply early. You're right. So how does that work? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Early decision was created in the 1950s. And from the beginning, it was sold as solely a benefit to students, right? This is for students who really know where they want to go. It's going to relieve the pressure. Uh, They'll get an an answer back and they'll know where they're going to college next year and they can relax for the rest of their senior year. Students who are savvy, typically wealthy students, students who are getting good advice, know that applying early decision can vastly increase your chances of getting in. You know, um, at Columbia, I think it's three times the chances of getting in early decision. At Duke, I think it's four times the chance. Um, The reality, of course, is that it's mostly a benefit for colleges. Um, What early decision does for colleges is it reduces the risk for them. They can admit students knowing that, hey, you're going to come if we let you in. And so they can basically take care of a lot of priorities for them. The other issue, of course, is who are the students who know about the advantage that early decision provides? Plus, who are the students who have the ability to make a commitment to enroll in an institution without looking at competing financial aid offers? Hmm. So some colleges defend early decisions, saying it actually helps improve racial and economic diversity. But you say that for the most part, it doesn't and it only favors the rich. So get into that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the basic problem with figuring out if it does increase diversity is that we don't have any data showing that. And I'm not saying that there isn't any data to show that. It's that the United States Department of Education collects no information about early decision. It collects no information, honestly, really about the demographics of college admissions, about like, you know, racial background of how many people are applying and admitted. It just shows who's enrolled. So what we really need is we need some data showing that's the case. We do have some information from the Common Application, and the Common Application serves about 900 colleges. Common Application shared data with me showing essentially the likelihood of applying early decision. So it's you're much more likely to apply if you are wealthy, if you're white, if you're Asian American, or if you're an international student. Because you know about it. Because you know about it. Well, yeah. that's it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not just about having the money to do it. It's about know-how, right? It's about financial capital, money, but it's also about cultural capital, know-how, right? Like being aware, like this is a thing out in the world. Yeah, yeah. So then is there any way to change things to make them more fair? So the cleanest and probably the best way to get rid of it would be just an outright ban. I believe that would be a good thing to do. I don't think it's realistic. I think it's too hard of a fight. Um, so a couple things I think that could be done. One would be to ban it at public colleges. Other things I think that would be useful here would be to simply spread awareness, 
right? So to make sure that all students are aware of the benefit, the power of applying early decision. Say you or someone you love is applying for college. What would you recommend if it is a student who does have access to all the things that allow them to apply for early decision, but they care about fairness? Should they just take their chances with regular decision? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. I I am not a big believer in fixing systemic problems like this through individual moral choices and actions. So we need to come up with essentially systemic solutions to systemic problems rather than wagging our finger at people who apply early decision or hire college consultants or anything like that. James Thanks so much for chatting. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. James Murphy is a higher education policy analyst at Education Reform Now. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Rob Gunther. We produce our show along with Grace Eliza Goodwin, Frank Olito, and Dave Smith, who's spending time with his new baby. Carrie Donahue is our executive producer, and we had help this week from Dan Gooding, Nikaz Stein, and Rebecca Knight. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> <laughs>